It really happened. The day arrived. Donald Trump is the 45th President of the United States. I watched the inauguration. As always, I was moved. For those of us who study human nature, the peaceful transfer of power is a remarkable, even miraculous thing. One of the most exceptional components of an exceptional American society. The will of the people has awesome majesty and even reverence, about as close to a sacred principle as we come in secular society. But I experienced additional feelings that I have never before felt on Inauguration Day. Rather than a burst of optimism for new beginnings, I felt deep anxiety. I believe in America. I believe in the American people. In the long run, I am optimistic that our country will continue to expand liberty and increase protection of human rights. I worry, however, about the period ahead. I worry about the temperament of our new president. The job carries unimaginable responsibilities for the future of us all. We have never before elected a president like Donald Trump. It is a rolling of the dice, a risky experiment sanctioned by the American people. Which Donald Trump will we see? A serious, grounded, reflective, mature leader of the free world befitting the heavy responsibilities we have bestowed upon him? Or the vindictive, easy to offend, temperamental, immature, virtual president regaling us with 140 character tweets? As I watched the limousine carrying the new president to the inauguration, I was reminded of what Winston Churchill said after losing the elections in 1945 to Clement Attlee. An empty car pulled up in front of Parliament this morning, said Churchill, and Clement Attlee got out. <laughs> Who got out of the car today? For all our sakes, we should hope that a serious, responsible leader emerged to take the oath of office. The campaign is over. It is over for everyone, for the people as well as the leaders. The time for action, the time for policies, the time for reasoned decisions has come. Governing is not campaigning. It is hard to campaign, but it is child's play in comparison to governing. It is one thing to speak of change. It is quite another to enact change. It is one thing to promise repeal. It is another thing to repeal promise, to take health care from 20 million Americans without providing a better option 
It is one thing to speak of extreme vetting. It is another thing to find the extremists. It is one thing to boast of defeating ISIS. It is another thing to defeat ISIS. It is one thing to tweet it will never happen. It is another thing to ensure that it never happens. It is one thing to mock the disabled. It is another thing to able the mocked. It is one thing to talk torture. It is another thing to order war crimes. It is one thing to confess to groping women. It is another thing to grope for the right answers to the most difficult challenges we have. It is one thing to wink at racists and supremacists. It is another thing to contain racism and protect the supremacy of law. This week, another 18 Jewish institutions received bomb threats added to the 16 of last week. It is one thing to have a throbbing ego. It is another thing to admit that you do not know. It is one thing to brag, I have a very good brain. It is another thing to prove it. It is one thing to describe the incoming cabinet as having the highest collective IQ in American history. It is another thing to prove it. And in any case, even if true, and how in the heck would you prove that? But even if true, we should be wary of people claiming high IQs. They often do dumb and immoral things. It is one thing to speak of making America great again. It is another thing to keep America great and to make it even greater. With all this talk about making America great again, I've been reflecting on what precisely constitutes national greatness. Is it in territory? The nation that has the most is the greatest? If that were so, Russia would be greater than we. Is it in population? The nation that has the most is the greatest. If that were so, India would be greater than we. Is it in national wealth? The nation that has the most is the greatest. If that were so, China is or will soon be greater than we. What constitutes American greatness? It is in the principles embedded in the landscape of this country as fertile and as rich 
as its soil, and as immovable as its majestic peaks. A nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all are created equal, endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, among these, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The intensity of our dedication to these principles is the measure of our greatness. It is what this day symbolizes, a commitment from one American president to another, a solemn oath to preserve, protect, and defend the expansion of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Great nations deserve and require great leaders. Great leaders are not measured by their boasts of greatness. In fact, Judaism teaches us that the greatest leaders are measured by their humility. Moses, the greatest of all the leaders, was the most humble of all. Ve'ha'ish Moshe anav me'od mikol ha'adam al-sher al-pnei ha'adama. And this man, Moses, was very humble, more so than any other man on earth. It wasn't as if Moses was weak, weak or meek, or passive, or unambitious. He was the opposite. But he understood the enormity of the task and his own limitations. Send someone else. He pleads with God in this week's Parsha. When the Montgomery bus boycott erupted, the newly minted 27-year-old Montgomery pastor, Martin Luther King, wanted no part in leading the effort. He felt unequal to and unworthy of the job. The job was laid upon him despite his reluctance. This quality of humility is the recognition of the solemn enormity of the task and our own limitations. That there are always people who are smarter than us in certain ways and better than us at certain things. And to excel, we need them. We do not know more than the generals. They know more about war than we do. We do not know more than the CIA. They know more about Russian surveillance than we do. Humility is the prerequisite to greatness. It is what Michel de Montaigne meant when he wrote, stalks of wheat rise high, erect and proud, as long as they're empty. But when the stalks are full, swollen with grain, in their ripeness they grow humble and lower their horns. 
The more responsibility, the more we should lower our horns. We are limited. We are not God. This was the spirit that Abraham Lincoln conveyed in his second inaugural address during the height of the Civil War. At the place where the inaugural took place today. Both sides read the same Bible and pray to the same God, Lincoln said. And each invokes his aid against the other. The Almighty has his own purposes. With malice towards none, with charity for all. With firmness in the right, as God gives us to see the right. Let us strive to finish the work to bind up the nation's wounds, to care for him who shall have borne the battle and for his widow and orphan, to do all we which may achieve and cherish a just and, and lasting peace among ourselves and with all nations. Is this our next president? He reportedly said in 2015, why do I have to repent? Why do I have to ask for forgiveness if you're not making mistakes? For all our sakes, let us hope that a man capable of humility has stepped out of the limousine today. And if not, we must remember what our tradition teaches us as core values of national greatness that we must never compromise and always preserve, protect, and defend. These core values include mercy. Love mercy, proclaimed the prophet Micah. We shall not stand at the sea-washed gate disparaging the homeless, deriding the tempest-tossed refuse on the teeming shore. You shall not wrong a stranger or oppress him, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You know the soul of a foreigner, for you were foreigners in the land of Egypt. The world shut its doors to you too. We Jews were on those rickety boats once, the wretched refuse that no one wanted. This refugee crisis is the most catastrophic moral failings of our times. We cannot stand idly by while millions suffer and die. Our synagogue will be active to help those abandoned at sea or on the shore. We shall soon propose to you our plan of action, a way for you to be involved. Our core values include equality, justice. Justice shall you pursue, the Bible insists. One law shall apply to those that are homeborn and to the stranger who is among you. You and the stranger are alike before God, the Bible insists. We are all 
equal before God. We are endowed with a spark of the divine, possessing equal dignity and equal worth. What reason have you for assuming that your blood is redder than another person's blood, the rabbis ask. Perhaps his blood is redder than yours. Our synagogue will not abide discrimination against others on the basis of race, religion, gender, or sexual identity. We shall resist measures that make America smaller again, more intolerant, more suspicious, more fearful, and less equal. Our core values include economic justice, defend the poor and the fatherless, the Bible urges. The measure of a great society is the extent to which it cares for its weakest elements. Open your mouth and plead the cause of the poor and the needy, states the Proverbs. Our synagogue will speak out against an unfair economic system that places an undue burden on those who can least afford it and not enough burden on those who can most sustain it. Our core values include tolerance. Differences between people are respected and encouraged in Judaism. Open any page of the Talmud and you will see multiple opinions and arguments spread over many centuries of debate, often with no resolution to the original question. Just more questions and more opinions. The Talmud states that in three things people are different one from the other. In voice, appearance, and opinions. We are entitled to differ. Our national greatness is in a mindset that welcomes and encourages diversity as a strength not a weakness. Our synagogue will insist on tolerance. And we will not neglect Jews. We feel so secure in this country and are so often caught up in the concern for others that we forget that we Jews, too, are a minority. We will respond to every anti-Semitic outrage with as much energy as we exercise towards the hated of other races, religions, and civilizations. Our core values include decency. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is the central principle, state our sages. Another's dignity should be as precious to you as your own, the rabbis teach. Whoever shames another in public, it is as if he shed his blood, states the Talmud. Among the most fervent prayers of Judaism is of one rabbi to his fellow described in the Talmud. 
May it be God's will that you do not humiliate another and that you are never humiliated. Our synagogue will be vocal in calling out anyone, including the President of the United States, who gratuitously and cruelly humiliate fellow Americans. And to those in the incoming administration who are so concerned about being respected and honored, we will follow our sages advice. Who is worthy of honor, they ask? Those who honor others. These are the values that make America great. Our greatness is not only in cherishing these values and not only in speaking of them, but in living up to them and instilling them into the lifeblood and the life stream of the American nation. Our greatness is not in boasts and arrogance, but in quiet, steady determination to preserve, protect, and defend life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Founding Father Governor Morris spoke of the greatness of the new American nation in the year 1800. Our greatness, he said, is in the national spirit. It is in that noble spirit which prizes glory more than wealth and holds honor dearer than life. It is that spirit, the inspiring soul of heroes, which raises men above the level of humanity. It is a high, generous, and noble spirit, elevated above all the low and vulgar considerations, despising whatever is little and mean, whether in character, counsel, or conduct. It is generous, granting freely to the weak and to the indigent protection and support. It is noble, dreading shame and dishonor as the greatest evil. When this spirit prevails, the government will be wise and energetic. I anticipate the day when to command respect in the remotest regions, it will be sufficient to say, I am an American. Amen. May it be so.